Mr. Guy Zombie Hunter is a delicious zombie apocalypse caper of ridiculous proportions. Our reluctant F-Goblin hero, Mr. Guy, explores a smattering of zombie apocalypse tropes trying to find the cure. Each chapter is paired with a different illustrator, giving this ongoing story rich variations in flavor to keep the reader turning them zesty pages. We're kickstarting Act 1 of Mr. Guy from July 1st to the 31st, along with Oneshi Press's 10th Comics Anthology, Origins. For more information, visit Mr. Guy Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Mega Ran, creator of songs such as Avalanche and Infinite Lives. You are now listening to Adrian Has Issues. Turn it up. Maybe you'll learn something. Peace. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Adrian Has Issues, a conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. Today's guest is Jules Conroy, who's best known by his stage name, Family Jules, who is a fantastic guitarist based out of the California area. And something that Family Jules has done, I think, is actually pretty remarkable. You probably heard a lot of, you know, video game and guitar based covers of games. Last year in December, Jules released Replay, which is a 20-minute long tribute featuring 46 different video games, which covers games from Pong to Mario Brothers, even up to like Persona 5. And well, this is actually the second iteration of that. And I, I thought that the story was pretty fascinating. And I, I think you guys would enjoy it too. But um, welcome to the show, Jules. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Thanks so much for having me. Your career as far as you know, doing video game covers, and you were a part of some arrangements. Uh, but I believe it was a Tomb of the Necromancer was the first one I'm thinking of, which I was listening to that prior to getting started. Um, first off, holy crap, it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, because it's really hard-hitting stuff and just a really good uh, guitar mastery. But I really want to get into the replay stuff because to do a comprehensive like retrospective of gaming music and also gaming history... Uh, I'd imagine that it, it, there's a little bit of a challenge coming into choosing which games and how you're able to transition from each one seamlessly. So I, I want to figure out first and foremost, like, what was that process like? The process was honestly one of the more fun segments of the entire project, just because um, it's really fun to kind of almost shoot out like a bunch of these like uh, games for uh, what kind of represents that year. So each decision was based on like uh, per year. So there's, uh, you know, it uh, starts with uh, 1970, uh, 1972 with Pong and then straight right. to 1975 and then one year uh, all the way up to 2019. I decided, you know, you, you could you can make a medley that's hundreds and hundreds of songs long if you just wanted to to talk about games that best represent video game music in general. So I decided to kind of limit myself to one song per year. Um, and this is what I did with the first one, too, where I uh, created a, a spreadsheet and, you know, I listed a bunch of games per year you know, looked out for, you know, like the most successful games of the year or maybe games that had, you know, really big cult followings or had a lot of um, fans of the soundtrack and stuff. And I'd kind of list these and then go through each year and decide what I thought best represented video game music as a whole for that year. 
And uh, so for the first one, I, I kind of had this. Um, I, I went a little overboard with it by uh, <laughs> by uh, essentially uh, going through each for each individual game, picking a song before even like you know opening up uh, a project file for arranging it or anything, right? And figuring out what the key is, what the time signature is, you know, what the general vibe of it would be. Uh, that way, when I'm deciding the songs, I can use songs that were in similar. Uh, tempos, key signatures, and stuff uh, next to each other. That way, they I knew before I went into arranging it, they would flow seamlessly to one another. And what I found was after the first one, you know, making transitions between those songs were very, very easy for the most part. But I felt I was picking songs that may or may not have best represented, you know, games in general. I just kind of picked what would transition well for that medley. So for this time around, for Replay 2019, I really kind of threw all that out the window, and I just looked at it for just the game. Just was this game soundtrack influential um, out of the other ones that I had to pick from? And I just decided, well, I'll figure out how to transition them when I get there. Because, you know, five years have gone by since Replay 2014. I figured by now, you know, my arrangement skills have gotten, you know, hopefully better. And I won't have to struggle. You know, there's a lot of different tools to being able to transition between different songs. And I figured the general idea of what the medley is would be better represented by better song choices than just, you know, songs that may or may not transition well between each other. Right. Because I was thinking with your YouTube channel, which you have, what, over thousands of followers I'd imagine, you know, when you did, and I was actually looking through the comments and, you know, there were people who were enjoying what you had put together, but, you know, as always, <laughs> gamers, we can always, we can be very opinionated. So people were wondering, it's like, oh, it would have been cool to have this in, or, or, you know, they were commenting on the song choices. So I'd imagine it's also much easier to make, like you said, uh, arrangements that where they were transitioning easier versus, you know, maybe what you thought would be just a good fit for the game itself because at that point you would never stop the game the the song would be <laughs> hours long to try to fit mm -hmm. in every single game you could possibly think of i actually ended up doing um a two video series where the first video was 50 video game songs in two minutes and it was it's a very very silly video where you know i mean essentially you're only getting like you know, anywhere between like three and seven notes of the melody of the song that I'm playing, because that's as much as you could fit in. But that was definitely kind of just like a um, mostly an exercise in my, my own arrangement ability. The, the comments for that were, were really interesting. You know, uh, the, the idea of it was a very kind of just like almost clickbaity idea, right? Where, you know, if you're just scrolling by that, you're like, how, how does he fit that many video game songs in, in that short of time? Right. And a lot of the comments... Uh, you know, I thought people would just be like, haha, cool, like, you know, silly idea or whatever. But I found a lot of the comments were talking about how much they felt like everybody felt kind of robbed because there's only that much time for each song. And sometimes the songs weren't even like recognizable on their own. So that was that was kind of um, an experience. I ended up doing another one, uh, 50 songs in three minutes so that, you know, you got maybe seven to ten notes for every song. Now, it kind of showed me that people really, you know, really, really want to hear a lot of the song. You know, they want to hear a good a good amount of it. I mean, of course, like I do, too. And that kind of made me think, 
you know, like, okay, so if we're, if we're representing video game music in general and trying to, you know, showcase these songs, we can't give them a very short amount of time. They need at least like 30 seconds to a full minute, you know, to really showcase the songs and all, all, all of its glory, uh, if you will. If you were to do every single song that people want, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that video would be hours and hours and hours long and you would still have people who still wanted more <laughs> songs it's just it's it's never like you can't win approaching a project from that angle right because then i'm thinking not only of just crafting the song playing the arrangements it's also just a mental undertaking anybody who plays any sort of instrument that's a, a pretty remarkable feat you know, that's why I guess I've always appreciated anybody who plays because, again, it's not an easy thing to do. So, I mean, the fact that you're able to cram that much into two minutes or 20 minutes, you know, that that's still a lot. And that's that's still remarkable at the end of the day. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> and also, I, I give anybody credit for putting in as much Donkey Kong Country as they can in any sort of arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Donkey Kong Country 2, I, I think, still probably has one of the most underrated game soundtracks out there. I mean, it's amazing, obviously. But like when you think about Sticker Brush Symphony and all the songs from that game, I, I feel like I feel like at least the people who are like huge fans of video game music in general. I mean, people know Don Donkey Kong Country 2 is definitely one of the one of the hardest hitting soundtracks of all time. It's one of the hardest hitting games, my lord. <laughs> yeah, that too. It's a very yeah, very difficult game. <laughs> but I also going through the list of games though, like and you know, a lot of them are classic, but I also thought it was interesting uh, the fact that a lot of the themes are, you know, or games that are presented are not necessarily games that you would think would lend itself to a metal or heavy guitar arrangement. Animal Crossing for starters. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, as I'm doing this uh, recording, uh, you know, Twitter has been blowing up regarding the Nintendo Direct for Animal Crossing. But that's not exactly my first choice when it comes to a metal arrangement. So I think that's what was fun, too, was just the song choices. So I've been I've been kind of doing, you know, video game, you know, metal arrangements for 10 years now. And I actually find the most fun out of arranging songs that aren't already metal Animal Crossing, you know, yeah, definitely. But like even older games than that, because because the technical limitations of the hardware didn't allow for a lot of layers of music. Right. That actually leaves a lot of room for, uh, you know, creative input or uh, a lot of the time there, there will be um, kind of these implied uh, harmonies and these implied chordal, you know, lines and stuff that aren't aren't actually there. Um, and so being able to flesh those out is a real treat and is one of the most rewarding parts of, of what I do. So I actually really love, I actually almost prefer taking songs that aren't metal or aren't rock or are as far away as possible from those genres and trying to, to make those work in that genre. So yeah, I, th I think, you know, in some ways, those are the songs that I look forward to the most. There are many a musician that do video game covers, which is awesome. And and while that is a great community and I'm always appreciative of the artists who put in the hard work, there still is the aspect of wanting to, you know, set yourself apart, you know, to be unique, which is what anybody wants to do in terms of creativity is to kind of stand out and show that what they do is different. And I feel like that it should be different. So... Yeah, to do covers of songs that don't normally get covered 
especially, like I said, early games, which weren't necessarily always uh, known for their music. You know, like I think about, let's say, the intro music of um, Galaga or, you know, the Tetris theme, which we all know, but it's not like Pong has this extensive library of soundtracks that, <laughs> you know, you can mine from. Yeah. With that said, though, something that I always like to do on a show is talk about origins. You've been doing this for a decade. So where does it start for you? So let, let's go back. When are you first picking up your guitar? <laughs> All right. Well, I was, um, let's say I was 14. My grandmother, uh, we call her Nanny, helped get me my first guitar. It was a, you know, it was like a, probably like a Target, like Rogue, probably less than $100 acoustic guitar. Which you want to you want to start on a guitar that isn't very expensive because you never know if it's going to be something that, you know, you're going to stick with and you don't want to like blast a whole bunch of money on something that, you know, you you don't stick with because guitar is hard. You know, like the the hardest the hardest part of learning guitar is 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 definitely like those first few months where you're, you know, building calluses and trying to understand, you know, how, how the guitar works in general, you know, memorizing the chord shapes and uh, you know, how to play scales and stuff like that. It's it's really, really daunting for anybody who has never really played an instrument seriously, which I hadn't. I, I'd played a little bit of piano prior to guitar, but nothing quite like guitar. I played drums too, which, yeah, again, it's, it's like not, uh, not anything remotely close to an instrument like guitar. So I, I got that and I was, I was really, for, for whatever reason, really obsessive about learning, you know, as fast and as efficiently as I possibly could. Um, I had a, a guitar for dummies book, uh, you know, that came along with the with the present. And uh, I sat there and I looked at, you know, I had every chord that, you know, every beginner needs to know. And I sat there and I would, you know, drill those chords into my memory. Um, and then I remember going online and looking up songs that use those chords and learning as many songs as I possibly could. Yeah, it, it was just one of those things, just for, for whatever reason, I really attached to the guitar, um, even though I was... You know, very bad at it, obviously, in the beginning. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I, I picked up my first guitar. And I ended up kind of sticking with that acoustic guitar for about a year until, you know, my mom, <laughs> like, probably saw that, like, okay, well, he's really serious about this. So, you know, I, I guess it's fine to maybe start letting him invest a little bit of money <laughs> into into this. So then I ended up getting my first electric guitar. I almost want to point out something real quick, though, which I think is a really fun point. Shout out to parents, by the way, because <laughs> I'm thinking about like buying and what you were just saying. It's the, okay, you know, he's interested in it, but we're going to see exactly how dedicated he is because um, they're not ex- they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah, guitars are very expensive. <laughs> so I thought that was just hysterical because I'm like, you know what? So at that point, they're like, all right, he's he's lasted this long. He hasn't quit um, like I did. Um, so they're going to keep going with it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a colossal waste of money if you, you know, because like, I, I know a lot of people will hit me up and just be like, hey, like, what guitar should I get? Like, I'm looking at these like $400, $500 guitar. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, don't buy a multi-hundred dollar guitar to start because it's not even just a question of your own willpower, like whether or not you're going to make it through. It's just you might start playing guitar and realize you just don't have the passion for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you can't know until you hold a guitar in your hand and, you know, you spend the hours and hours and hours of being really, really bad 
at guitar <laughs> and, you know, having to memorize all of this stuff. And, you know, you won't know until months after you've done all that work already, whether or not you're going to stick with guitar. So right. why would you spend, why would you spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a guitar that might feel a little bit better than a guitar that's like a hundred dollars, you know, it might be built a lot better, you know, it might be by a, a brand that you like. And, you know, honestly, those things are very important. Um, and no arguably for starting out, you know, you want to start out on a good guitar. And obviously, if you have the budget for it, that's great. But like I started on a guitar that was less than a hundred dollars, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I played that guitar for a very, very long time. Um, I think it's important to give yourself enough room and enough time to really be honest with yourself if, if it's what you want to do. And then if it is, then yeah, you know, buy a really, really sick guitar and, you know, treat yourself for all the work that you've put in. I right. Because I think there's this misconception, um, and I had this too, so I'm definitely not trying to necessarily, you know, point my finger at anybody else, but there's this misconception that one, the more money you put into something early on, will somehow equate to how good you're going to be with a better quality instrument or product. You know, certain things may be easier, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at it. And two is, I think the hardest lesson is the willingness to suck, at least for a while. Yeah, that's that's everything, man. I mean, it sucks to suck and nobody wants to do it. But everybody who wants to do something like guitar or something that, you know, is is really rewarding, you know, art form, whether that be music, whether that be movies, whether that be, you know, anything. I mean, you know, you you have to you have to start at some point and you have to have learning experiences like everyone who has anybody has been influenced by started exactly the same way. I think it's uh, when you look at it from that perspective, it's a lot easier to just be like, all right, well, I'm not going to be great in the beginning. But, you know, if I keep at it, then hopefully I'll be great in the future. Right. And that first replay and those first set of arrangements, you know, as you constantly are putting in the work, committing yourself to your craft, um, it's opened up doors for you. I mean, you've composed soundtracks for indie games. Uh, you've done very well and built this fan base, you know, on YouTube and on social media. And as much as we can look at that and say, oh, this guy's doing, you know, very well, that had to start from some place, you know, like you said, it started on that, that first guitar. So, I th- and that's why I always like talking about origins is because I always like to try to do my best to kind of strip away and say that you know people can't do it but it just again takes that hard work and that dedication and i'm pretty sure coming from those early days to this most recent uh replay you know there's a lot of starts and stops and there's a lot of successes and maybe um even some failures or things maybe didn't work out and i think that all tends to help in terms of building your experience definitely I did also want to bring up the um the Ars Ascent because like I said, I've I'm addicted, addicted to this album. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So I do want to get the story of that because um Necrodancer, like uh I don't think people know about and I certainly didn't, but I, I know a lot of people um have kind of been made aware of it thanks to Cadence of Hyrule and like that crossover, but I actually want to know like how did that project come about? The composer of uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer was Danny Baranowski, who also did the music for Super Meat Boy uh, and Binding of Isaac, um, the original Binding of Isaac uh, soundtrack. And I'd played Super Meat Boy, and then I covered one of the songs from the game 
and Danny had seen it. Uh, for whatever reason, I think a friend of his like showed him the video that I put out on YouTube um, of me playing the music to. It was uh, the second world from Super Meat Boy, so uh, the the hospital level. Um, and you know, he reached out to me, and he you know he was like, "Wow, you know, this is great, great, great work." That was crazy because I, I feel like at the time I hadn't really gotten all, like like that much recognition from from the composers. Um, right. You know, th- there's a there's a few. Um, but like, you know, that, that's definitely the ultimate pleasure of, you know, like when you get, when you get the approval of the composer that you've covered the song from, I think that's the greatest honor that you can get. Um, so, you know, I remember he was asking me, he was just like, Hey, you know, when are you going to do these songs? And, you know, I decided, Hey, you know, I could do a medley. So I did a, I did a very long super meat boy medley. And then I ended up doing a medley for, uh, the binding of Isaac after he, um, you know, released the music for that. And then he actually ended up asking me, hey, what's your availability to do, you know, maybe a quick guitar part for The Binding of Isaac? And he was working on the the Wrath of the Lamb DLC um, and the final, 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 final boss of Binding of Isaac. Uh, that was kind of just like a completely uh, out of left field. But, um, you know, that, that was kind of the moment at which I realized kind of, you know, the the scope at which, you know, what I was doing could, you know, amass to, you know, even just like, like kind of being in video games, like was completely outside of my imagination when starting to kind of do this. Stuff. Right. Um, something I would obviously have loved to do, but it just, it didn't even seem like it was kind of something that, you know, at the time that I was starting that uh, was where that trajectory was headed. <laughs> it's like when in Rome, do as the Romans do, which is do arrangements for a super meat boy. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, I, so that happened and it was, it was great. It was a great experience. And I remember going to visit Danny and he was uh, showing me, you know, the silly little rhythm game that he was working on called Crypt of the Necrodancer. And I was absolutely, you know, instantly in love with the music. Uh, you know, I hadn't released yet. He was showing me kind of like a pre-release uh, build and stuff. And I, I asked him, I was just like, hey, can you send me some of these tracks? And without even him asking me, I covered the music. And, you know, like, I just, I loved it so much that I was just like, I really want to know what these sound like as metal arrangements. And uh, those uh, those recordings that, you know, um, of, of the first few levels are still the versions that you hear in the game. Like the ones that I recorded when I had returned home from that trip. Right. Uh, I, I did three of them. I did I did one 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 two and one three, and I sent him one one. I was like, hey, you know, I did this. Like, let me know what you think. And he was he he seemed absolutely over the moon about it. He was just like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like, I love this. <laughs> and that was you know a huge huge uh, still a huge honor to to you know have the composer of the game you know say say those things about the cover you've made. But then I sent him. I was just like, oh yeah, by the way, I also did this one. And, you know, so I did, I did one, two, and I sent that to him and he was, you know, he was just like, how many of these do you have? And I was like, well, I have one more. And I sent him one, three. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that's when he got the idea. He was like, okay, like, how cool would it be if we had an alternate arrangement album for the game? Like an official, like, you're playing the game and, you know, you could change the genre of the music, you know, whenever you wanted. That's wild. Um, yeah, I, I thought, I thought it was, it was crazy. It was just like, could you do this for every single song in the game? And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> yeah. That. Like, um, and if not, I'll find a way. I mean, shoot, yeah. you present the opportunity. I'm here. I'm with it. 
Definitely. Um, and, you know, he, he already had in mind, um, you know, a rival to do the, the EDM soundtrack for, for Necrodancer. And, you know, some of the other soundtracks kind of came later. But the, the main idea in the beginning was I would do the metal soundtrack and a rival would do EDM. And there would kind of be like those three soundtracks to kind of choose between. But, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was obviously, you know, uh, a, a right place at the right time. For, for sure, you know, and doing a bunch of work, not expecting something like that out of it. You know, that's that's one of those things when people like ask me like how to to kind of break into the the industry or, or you know, like the, the way I did it was so unconventional and it wouldn't work with, you know, almost any other composer or any other situation with a composer that it would work with. It was just it was literally just the perfect time, perfect place and, you know, everything. And so we did that. You know, he he also had me do uh, some of the original guitar work for the original soundtrack for Necrodancer. And, uh, yeah, after that whole project, um, I, I ended up remastering a lot of the music that I did for it for Aria Awakened and they did, um, the DLC amplified and I did a, a like a release of a re-release of Aria, uh, Awakened with the remaster with those songs as well as, um, you know, like a DLC EP that I released with that just because I was having so much fun covering the music. Like there's something about Danny's music that, that really kind of fell into my hands that like when I played it, it, it felt right. Um, it, it kind of lent itself to, to the skills I have learned as a guitarist. Uh, and the things that I like to play, um, are the things that Danny likes to write. So it was rewarding to cover anything that he was writing, especially for a game like Necrodancer, you know, the whole cadence of Hyrule thing came up and, I, I guess they they wanted me to, or Danny wanted me to do the guitars for the original soundtrack, and yeah, it, it was literally just one day I woke up and you know I got a Discord message from from Danny and he was just like, hey, do you want to do you want to make guitars for a Zelda game? <laughs> Which at that point I probably would have lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely kind of a hard. It, it, that was a difficult feeling to describe once I understood the actual scope of the project. With this, then, um, you have replay and you've continued your arrangements. Um, so I guess then the next question is, you know, seeing as how you're known for doing video game music, is there ever more an impetus to um, release um, more original stuff? Because I know you're also part of a band, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, ideally, ideally, of course. I mean, I, um, I, w- I would like to be composing uh, for for games for sure. Uh, that's it's kind of like you know working on all of this stuff kind of made me realize that that's that's definitely at least one of the career paths that I would definitely like to to pursue. You know, in addition to kind of doing all the stuff on, for YouTube and stuff like that. Um, so I'm in a power metal band that's based out of Massachusetts, um, and we're called Thunderforge, and we're 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 a power metal band, and we write songs about you know fighting dragons and following your dreams and stuff. Um, as is you know per requirement of being in a power metal band, <laughs> and uh, and it's a lot of fun, and I really really enjoy playing that music. You know, some of my favorite moments of being a musician in general is playing with those guys. And we have we you know we have an album in the works right now that I'm very slowly mixing and mastering with all of the projects that I have uh, on my head right now. But uh, yeah, I would definitely love to be putting out more original music for sure. Now let's get into your gaming background. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, because I, I know, like, even on, like, your bio, you say that you see yourself more as a musician than a gamer, but where does that start? Well, I mean, the first the first game I ever played was, I mean, I, I think it was Super Mario Bros., you know, for the NES. You know, they, they had the cartridge with uh, 
Super Mario Bros. with uh, Duck Hunt. So, like, I was, I remember playing that, you know, when I was very young. And those were the first gaming experiences I had, and I was hooked right there. But I I think it was, it wasn't until I ended up getting an N64 that I really kind of dove deep into games, you know, uh, Super Mario 64, you know, Ocarina of Time and stuff like that, uh, that I really became super enamored with video games. You know, speaking of Nintendo, for years, you know, people tend to think of Nintendo as this family company. But as I'm really going through the music, and especially of like Mario Brothers and Zelda, coming to realize Nintendo was very smart, where it's like the games are presented as being you know, family friendly and inviting, but come to realize musically, it's like, I, I'm completely convinced that it was always meant to be a Rangers metal because my God, most of these themes are probably as close to existential dread as you can get. And as a child, maybe I'm worth, but I absolutely loved it. Cause if you listen <sighs> to like the, um, like the original Zelda dungeon theme, mm-hmm. that's not exactly something you're going to hear on like space invaders. Well, the uh, the composer of, of Zelda and Mario, who's Koji Kondo, was inspired by, you know, a lot of progressive rock for his arrangements. I think it, it seemed like he was he was mostly inspired by jazz and classical music, but there was definitely um, definitely a, a Deep Purple was the big band, I think, that really inspired him. Um, and I think that's that's uh, you can see a lot of those inspirations for songs like that in like those those rock bands and stuff that he was inspired by. So, I mean, whether or not he was expecting that somebody would eventually make it metal, I have no idea. Pro- you know, probably not. But the influence is definitely there. You know, it's it's deriving from that that pool uh, that metal also you know took inspiration from. Yeah, and I don't know if anybody really was expecting it, but. It just sort of happened, and once that took hold, I don't think anyone's ever really looked back since. I yeah. mean, that game music has also been covered in so many different genres, uh, rock, folk, hip-hop. And I, I think that's always a part to me that always just kind of blows my mind, because now I feel like my childhood's been validated in a way that I was never expecting. <laughs> and that's coming from someone <laughs> who hasn't even played these arrangements in any sort of like professional capacity. <laughs> So it's hard to say if it was ever really the uh, the intention of it being covered at all, you know, because like, you know, most of the time when I talk to composers, like it's not really a thought in their mind at all, you know, when they're when they're composing the music. And, you know, it's it's always seems like a very, very surprising. And, you know, uh, imagine, you know, writing a song for a game and, you know, you you were given a, a prompt, you know, this is, you know, you're. You're this little green dude and you're running through a dungeon and you have to write a really, you know, ominous song or whatever. You know, you're not really thinking like, oh, well, maybe someday somebody will cover this on a, you know, a seven string guitar and with, you know, blast beat drums. Like, I think at that point, you're just like, all right, I got to make a song that fits this style as best as possible. But then later on, when somebody does cover it, you know, you're just like, whoa, that's 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 insane. You know, I that's so interesting you know right and you know going back to your story of you know working on you know super meat boy and bond of isaac you know having the composers of these games then approaching people who have made covers not that people wouldn't have done it already but it does kind of lend at least a little bit of legitimacy in people recognizing that there's something here like there's a like a return there's a market or there's like an audience 
you know, now that, you know, they've played the games and then now we're making Rangers. Now you've heard the Rangers. Now we can actually base games off of this, which I think is kind of like the other flip side that maybe sometimes we don't always discuss. But, you know, like I said, with uh, Necrodancer, like that's kind of a, a really cool idea because I feel like that's exactly what they did was take a, a concept that we've often done, but now it's being put in game form. Well, I think, you know, up until recently, if you needed like high quality recordings, you know, of a, of an instrument or an instrumentalist, you needed to go to a studio and you needed to hire a studio musician. Whether or not that studio musician cares about your game or video games at all is not guaranteed whatsoever. What's interesting now is recording technology has advanced so much in the way of what's available to people in their homes for their home studios. Right. That it's now at a point where most anybody who, you know, is invested in being a musician can afford good enough recording equipment. And, you know, they have the resources available to them with YouTube and stuff like that to be able to know how to use this stuff way more than they did even 10 years ago. You know, certainly 15 or 20 years ago. Absolutely. Um, but now you're at a point where if you have a cover of a song from the game you're working on that you've seen, you already know that that person not only is capable of doing maybe a part for the game that you, you know, you're, you're writing for, but also you know that they have the passion for it and they have the, you know, they, they're definitely going to, to give it their all. And I think that that's very important. I think I think having that feeling behind the music is as important, if not more important than, you know, the actual music being played. Excellent. Well, Jules, thank you so much for taking the time out and telling your story. And also, um, everybody definitely check out uh, Replay and we'll, we'll be at the end of notes. And again, it's 20 minutes well spent. And again, I, I <laughs> as someone who's always been a fan of this music, um, I, I think it's a, a really cool concept, and I'm really hoping that we can get to see more of this soon. Um, but before we head out, though, um, was there anything like as far as um, social networking sites or any other things that you uh, wish to to plug or promote? Uh, feel free to do so. Yeah, um, you know, my YouTube channel is youtube.com uh, slash familyjewels7x. Uh, my Twitter is at familyjewels7x. Uh, Instagram, all that stuff, I pretty much, I'm pretty much on everything um, as either familyjewels7x or just familyjewels. Uh, Twitch, I stream on Twitch uh, every Thursday, Sunday at twitch.tv slash familyjewels. And yeah, I have new videos uh, pretty much every week on YouTube on Tuesday. Very cool. By the way, the 7X, a sevenfold reference? Yes. Okay. That's what I was thinking. I was like, that, that has to be. <laughs> it's the band that started it all for me, really. I mean, uh, still to this day, I love, I love Avenged Sevenfold. Awakening the Fallen, I, I think, is an album that I could probably do two hours of podcasting just talking about. So if I yeah. ever end up doing that, I may have to hit you up again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I'd love to. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you all for listening. And that'll do it for this episode of Atrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue.
For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.